you have a Bible, let's open up today to Acts chapter 17 as we continue our journey through the book of Acts in verses 1 through 9 we're going to see them planning a church there in Thessalonica and it's really I mean there's a lot to glean but to me one of the things that stands out is just anointed preaching you know um, that we have a heart to evangelize and so prayerfully you guys have that uh, and then and then as we go from verses 10 through 14 really it's them they're planning a church in Berea and we're going to learn lessons as Christians on anointed listening. So there's got to be anointed preaching, man. You've got to tell them that Jesus had to die and rise again. And you have to reason and explain and demonstrate that truth. You've got to care for the lost. You know, I don't know about you, but man, whenever I go, wherever I go, I see people walking around. And, you know, you try to have a good time. You know, you're, in, you're enjoying your lunch there. The other day we went to Umami Burger. It was really good, you know. But you see all these people, and, and you just wonder, man, do they know the Lord? You know, your heart aches for them, you know. And so in Thessalonica, that was Paul's uh, life. That was Paul's heart. I mean, this guy was, uh, you know, the ringleader for Satan's army, and God saved him. God rescued him from the pits of hell, and he never forgot that. I mean, he knew who he was. I think a lot of times we forget who we were or where we were headed and what Christ has done for us, and that's why we don't have the eyes to evangelize. That's why we don't have a passion the way that Paul did. But when you remember who you are and what Christ has done for you, then, you know, what he's called you to do is to shine and to share. Then, man, you are always like Paul, you know, sharing the Lord, you know, like D.L. Moody. He was a guy who's had a commitment to God. He said, I want to share Jesus with at least one person every single day of my life. And he did. And I remember one time there was a story. He went to sleep and he hadn't shared the Lord with anybody. And so it kind of hit him. He's like, whoa, the whole day went by and I haven't shared Christ with anyone. And so he got out of bed. Think about it. I mean, you know, when you're tired, you guys go to sleep. You can't get out. You know, he got out of bed. He went out, found a guy walking across the street and he grabbed him by the shoulders and he said, do you know Jesus? And the guy said, that's none of your business. And Dia Muni said, oh, yes, it is. It is our business. You know, you guys, that's why we live. I don't know why you live. I don't know what keeps your heart beating. I don't know what your master passion is. But let me tell you something, man. You were saved to serve. You have been redeemed by Christ to, to, to enjoy him and to glorify him. And God has placed you in a place, in a platform, surrounded by certain family and friends and, and people. And he wants to use your life to reach them with the only hope that they can possibly have. Please, don't forget that. Because if you do, one day you're going to wake up and you're going to regret your life. I, I, I see that here. In Acts 17, Paul, this guy's crazy. Look at verse 1. It says, Now when they had passed through Am Am Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came into Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And then Paul, as his custom was, he went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. 
And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and, and not a few, in other words, a lot of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. And so here they are, they're in the second missionary journey. It's Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They, remember, just left Philippi. They traveled 100 miles now uh, to Thessalonica. Keep in mind, they, they don't have cars. They're traveling probably on foot. Um, the second missionary journey is so amazing. Uh, uh, covered over 3,000 miles, 100 days of traveling. And you guys thought 16 hours on an airplane was bad. I mean, these guys are just so sold out for the Lord. You know, and as they're there, we, we actually have some maps to see this place called Thessalonica. Um, I think we do. The one on the left, it kind of gives you the big picture, the 3,000 miles. Uh, this is them now taking the gospel from Asia to Europe. It's amazing what God has done. The second one right here, you can see it more uh, the way that Thessalonica was a harbor city. And so there was this great highway, the Via Ignatia, and there was this great harbor. And that's why it was such a, a, a wealthy city, a populous city. Uh, it was probably second only to Corinth. And so Paul was smart. You know, he knew that if people here got saved, if I could plant a church here in Thessalonica, then from here the word will go out. Because remember, that's why his heart beat. It beat so that people would get saved. And so he goes 100 miles, he travels to Thessalonica, and uh, to me, I just think this guy, he's my hero in so many ways. You know, that's what we need to do. They, you know, they just keep going, sowing seeds of truth all along the way, wherever they went, and as a result of them and their obedience, the church keeps growing. You know, I was reminded about uh, David Livingston. Some of you guys know him as the great explorer, the great missionary to Africa, and he literally pioneered, you know, the, the roads there, going to where no man in one sense had ever gone. And uh, once he was asked uh, uh, as far as where he was prepared to go, and his answer was, I will go anywhere as long as it be forward. As long as it, as it be forward, I will go anywhere. And I'm convinced that that was Paul's heart as well. You know, he would later write to the church in Thessalonica in his first letter to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 1 and 2, it says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. You know, so they had just been mistreated in Philippi. You remember what happened there? They were in prison in the dungeon in the bottom, you know, feet in the stocks. I mean, bloody back, beaten, and they were praising God. And it didn't stop them. They just kept going. Uh, here we see Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Now, you may have noticed in reading our text here that there's a change in pronouns. I just want to mention this to you real quick. Luke uses the word they in verse 1. Again, notice, now when they had passed through Amphipolis. And so that means that Luke stayed behind in Philippi, and we're going to see that he doesn't join them again until Acts chapter 20 in verse 5 on Paul's third missionary journey. But Thessalonica, um, interesting city. It was a chief city and principal port there in Macedonia, it was, again, another one of those uh, cities located in a significant location. The highway, the harbor, 
Um, it was given its freedom for support of Anthony and Octavian, Octavian during the civil war that followed Julius Caesar's death, and so therefore it earned the right to govern itself. And so all that to say it's a, it's a big city, about 100 miles uh, from Philippi, and we know Paul was strategic and, and um, uh, planning a church there. It was a beautiful harbor then, and it's still today. I think we have a picture of the harbor now. And so if you were to go over there, isn't that pretty? You know, it's still like that. As a matter of fact, um, today with the opening of the borders in southeastern Europe, uh, Thessaloniki, that's what it's called now, is experiencing a strong revival serving as the prime port for the northern Greek regions of Macedonia and Thrace, as well as for the whole of southeastern Europe. And so you guys will study history and you'll find that eventually the church shifted from Asia to Europe and eventually to Rome. And a large part of that was because of one man. And his name was Paul. And then eventually it was in Rome for a while. Uh, Great Britain then sent out missionaries and then America. And you study church history and you realize what a difference individual lives make. You know, Paul's mindset was to plant a church there, and then from there his hope was that the word would go out, which is exactly what happened. You know, we read in 1 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 8, really cool, check this out, it says, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia, so that's the whole region there in Greece, who believe, for from you, he said, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. That's every pastor's dream. That as he shares the word with the people, that the people would then go and share the word with others. I tell you what, that's exactly how it works. And that's exactly what happened there in Thessalonica. You know, back then, the city was predominantly Greek, but we see in our text that there was a synagogue in Thessalonica, and so that means that there were Jews present as well. Notice again there in verse 2, and so Paul does what he always does. It says, as his custom was, he went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And so that was his custom. Remember, we've gone through this. He would always go into a city, search for a synagogue, uh, attend service, you know, and then preach the gospel. He was a rabbi and they would give him that freedom to share. And then he would reason right here. We see with them, notice, from the scriptures, right? And it's a good custom to have. I'll tell you what, uh, Paul went to the synagogue every week. So did Jesus. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and then he stood up to read. And so, you know, it's a good custom to have to be in church service at least once a week. And then when you're there, whatever doors that God opens for you, you know, you might be a preacher or a teacher. You might be serving in another way. I tell you what, you might be just there giving somebody a hug or a smile or a little counsel after or before church service. You might be serving the kids or the nursery. I tell you what, when we come to 
the service each week and we you know, use whatever gifts we have, whatever love we have to give. I tell you what, it, it changes people. That's what this family is all about. You know, the, that was Paul's custom to go in, and that was Jesus' custom to go in, and of course, they would share the word. We know that the synagogue was a great place to start, for the Jews had that foundation of revelation and anticipation. They had the foundation of revelation in that they knew this was God's message, and that's very important. If they know it's the word, then you can preach the word. And they also had the foundation of anticipation, and then as they're preaching the word, the Jews were anticipating the coming of the Christ because there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of the Savior, that one day the Christ would come, the anointed one. That's what Christ means. That's the Messiah, the Messiah, the anointed prophet, priest, and king, that one day he would come to save the world. And so that's where Paul would always start. He would always start there because there was a foundation of revelation and anticipation. And then there were also the, the Gentiles who were God-fearers who also had that message and had that hope in their heart. And so Paul would go and he would share there. And we read the three things that he would do. And I thought it was kind of cool if you guys are, ever have the opportunity to share in any type of form or way he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating uh, that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And those are things that we can do as well, right? The, the Greek word reasoning is where we get our word dialogue, really. And it means to mingle thought with thought, you know. And uh, that was Paul's uh, mode of operation. We see it over and over again in the Bible in Acts seventeen seventeen. He reasoned in the synagogue in Acts 18.4 and Acts 18.19 and Acts chapter 19 verse 9. I'm going to test you guys on all these verses afterwards. You know, and that's what we should be doing, reasoning with people, you know. I mean, and the Lord will show you. I mean, the Lord will show you. You've got to be open and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, your co-worker, you know, working in the cubicle next to you, you know, three feet away from you, you know, you don't realize it or not, but they want to take their life. They want to die. And they're, and they're considering suicide. And you're there and you're a Christian and you're a light and you know the truth and you can help them. And if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, you know, you might, might share the word with them. Or that person over there, their marriage is, is suffering and they're, they're hiding it so well, but they can't hide it from the Holy Spirit. And then you go and, and you, you begin to reason with them. How are you doing? I mean, you know, the ones that are strung out on, on drugs. I mean, just you name it. You know, but we have to be open. We have to be like with eyes to evangelize and reasoning with them. Man, I, I, it's, yeah, it makes sense. You know, you're, you're not going to make it without Christ. There's no way your marriage is going to really thrive uh, unless it's built on the rock. You know, and all your life, you know, the way that it works and the explanation is so simple that all of our life, we're just looking for love. That's all we're doing. That's all we are. We're really looking for true agape love. And, you know, the only one with that consistent love that will never, ever, ever fail you is God the one who made you, the one who maintains you, the one that was nailed to a cross for you. 
I'm trying to explain this to you because it's true. And we're reasoning with people. You know, we're explaining things. The word they're demonstrating probably could be used, you know, we're proving to them that all this is not just, you know, some church thing, some social club, you know, some thing where, you know, it's just, you know, uh, kind of like a fairy tale. No, it's true. It's all etched in the Bible, man, that the Christ was prophesied to come and, and suffer and die and rise again. And so those of you who are thinkers, you become believers. And it's amazing what God ends up doing in our life. And I love the passage in Isaiah 1.18. It says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And that's what God does. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, is he washes away all your sins, no matter how bad they've been, no matter how deep and dark and depraved of a person that we were before, he washes it all away. And, and, and he makes us as white as snow. Let me tell you something. When you're a Christian, when God looks at you, he sees no sin from a positional standpoint. And so there's Paul, you know, reasoning with them, explaining to them, demonstrating to them, proving to them who the Messiah is. You know, sharing out of Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 and Psalm 1610 where it said the Messiah had to rise from the dead. They couldn't keep him in the grave. I mean, you know, just sharing the word and, and, and it's just so cool when you look at this right here. Again, like I shared with you in the beginning, to me, it's just anointed preaching. That's what God wants to do with all of our lives, not just evangelists, not just pastors. The only difference between you and Paul, between Paul and most people, is because the only difference is, is that he understood what God had done and what God had called him to do, that he was passionate about it. That's the only difference. It's not that he had a different position. You guys know that, huh? You guys know that. I know that. I see some of you guys out there in the front lines sharing with people like crazy, and it's just a beautiful thing. You know, so whenever he would go, it's so cool. People would get saved. There would be an aspect of revival, but then there was also those who didn't believe. There was the, you know, a riot that would always follow. Look at verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious. Isn't it sad? That's the real reason they were upset. They were just envious because he was taking away the crowd, so to speak. They took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob. They set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, because remember, they're looking for Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. 
And so here we see, you know, some believed, and that's the way it is. It doesn't matter how anointed you are, how good you are, how clearly you share the gospel, how many scriptures you make, you know, like, man, that's amazing you share. Some will believe and some will not believe. And some will even become antagonistic because they're under the influence of the enemy. You know, and so these guys, you know, they're upset. And I, and I love the accusation. Don't you guys love the accusation there? These are the ones that have turned the world upside down. And I really think they've turned the world right side up, huh? But that's what happens. And that's my, I wish, I pray one day that God would say that about, about me, about us. They were, they were the ones that made such a difference. It's like they turned the world upside down. They turned it right side up. In a world that's discombobulated and broken and hurting and dying inside, that we were able to come in somehow, way, by the grace of God and put lives right side up where they belong. You know, these guys were upset. They were envious. And so they go, they invade the house, you know, bust down the door. They want to arrest Paul and Silas. They can't find him, so they drag Jason to the authorities. And basically, in a nutshell, where it says right there, they, they took security from them. Notice it says in verse 9, so when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. It's an interesting uh, thing that happened here. Okay, so I'm going to try to do this fast because I don't have a lot of time left. But um, basically... Uh, the way it worked is that Satan could not stop Paul and Silas and these guys. He couldn't stop them. They didn't care if people rejected their message. They didn't care if people hated them. They didn't care if they were beaten up. They didn't care if they were put in prison. They didn't care if they died. You know, when they got kicked out of a city, they would just go to the next city. Sometimes they would even go back to the city where they were persecuted. You could not stop these guys. And so Satan's realizing that. So, you know, now what he, he begins to at least try to do anyways is legislation. He says, well, we can't stop them unless somehow we make it illegal for them to come back into the city. And so right there where it says that they took security from them... What that means is that they put like a restraining order on them. And the devil will do everything he can to try to stop us from being where we belong and doing what we're called to do. You know, but it's so, it's so cool, and I just want to share this real quick, that even though uh, later on Paul said, I wanted to go to you, but Satan hindered us because probably this legal restraining order um, probably was what was holding him back. So you know what he did? He wrote a letter. He wrote a letter to them. And we believe that it was the first letter that Paul ever wrote to the churches. And because of the restraining order, because of this security, because of the legality, the devil thought, I'm going to stop him. Homeboy wrote a book of the Bible. God will not be stopped. We must stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. 
What ends up happening here? You got these guys. What an example. They're there. When you read first tonight, we're going to look at first and second Thessalonians. They shared so much prophecy with them. They were teaching them. They were discipling them. Here, you know, they're teaching them about the king, the real king, not Caesar. It's Jesus. I mean, it's just so cool. The anointed preaching. We learn that. That's not just for preachers or pastors. It's for all of us. But then in Berea, we have not just the anointed preaching, but the emphasis seems to be more on the anointed listening. Because look what we read next in verse 10. It says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, again, a lot of the Greeks, and the prominent women as well. And so we see now, under the cover of night, Paul and Silas, they leave the city, they head for Berea. This time it's about a 45-mile journey Uh, Berea was a city located south in Macedonia on this beautiful mountain range, Olympus mountain range. Uh, Today, the city is known as uh, as Verea, still a city there. And and as they're there, it's interesting, these guys do what they're supposed to do. Their responsibility is to go in and preach. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue and, and they shared. And then we see the response there in verse 11. That the New Living Translation puts it this way, the people were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica and that they listened eagerly to Paul's message and they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. You know, literally in the, in the original language, uh, they were noble. And it comes from a word that means uh, good birth. I mean, just noble. You guys know what nobility is, right? And, uh, and so... We learn, I think, we learn about anointed preaching, but we also learn about anointed listening. And so when you're listening to a message, whether it's me or anyone else, you know, you test it. And yet you got to go to church service ready to receive. That, that's number one. You know, it says, that there, there, it says right there that, in, in that they were more noble in that they received the word with all readiness. With all readiness. And the word, it means with zeal and with eagerness. You know, I mean, you, you might go to, to church service and you're expecting God to speak to you. You're hungry for the word. You know, some people, they're, they're not like that. They're like, well, I'll think about it. I'm going to go and sit down and let's just see if it's good enough, then maybe um, I'll listen. But when you go, and I've noticed this, um, when you go with a hungry heart open to God's word, with all readiness, you're ready, man. Some people think going to church, being ready means I got my makeup on. I'm ready for church, man, you know, or whatever. I got my, my nice clothes or whatever. I'm ready church Sunday, you know. That's not being ready. Being ready is you're ready to listen. You're ready to learn. You're ready for the living God of the universe to speak to you. You're learning. You're ready for Jesus to teach you, for the Holy Spirit to touch you with his word. 
And I've learned that, you know, you can share, I can share the same message, man, and one person sleeps and the other gets saved. Why? It all, it's all a matter of whether or not you're open and hungry and God's, you know, doing that work. I mean, you got a printer. You guys know how it is, right? It's good to have a good printer, but, you know, you can print the same thing on, on photo paper or regular paper. It, a lot of it has to do with the paper as well. And that's kind of how it is with, with preachers. I mean, please teach me the Bible. That's the main thing. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be fancy. Just give me the Bible. Let's read it. Explain it to me. You know, give me the word. I want a good printer. But then it, it should fall on, a, on some good paper. Absorbent. You know, the Lord talked about that, right? In the, the parable of the sower, the seed and the soils. In Matthew chapter 4, he said that the sower went out and he sowed seed. Same sower, same seed but different soils. And some of the, the soil, it's hard ground. Nothing's going to happen to that. It ain't going to get in. The devil's going to come and snatch away that word because they went into church with a, with a hard heart. Nothing's going to happen. It's not the sower's fault. It's not the seed's fault. It's the soil. You know, and then the second one, he says, it goes in and it's shallow soil. And so, yeah, it's, yeah I'll serve the Lord, but if it gets a little uncomfortable, I'm out of here. And then the third one is the crowded heart, where it's the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. It becomes unfruitful. But then there's that fourth beautiful, open, soft soil. When the word goes in, it brings forth fruit. And that was the Bereans. They were ready to receive. Not only were they ready to receive they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether or not what that guy was saying lines up with God's word. And that's so important and it's so huge that we do that. You know, and I want you guys to do that with me. You know, I've had people, you know, say, hey, what about that? Or I'm not sure about that. They've corrected me because I'm just a man. You know, I try my best to study and you know, and, and to teach you the word straight, but you have to test me. You have to test, they had to test Paul. Imagine that, like going up to Paul the apostle afterwards and you're like, hey, are you sure about that? And then he could say, do you know who I am? <laughs> I'm Paul the apostle, what are you talking about? No, he didn't say that. He said, man, these guys are cool. You know, oh, show me the reference, you know, or that Greek word there, what did you say it means again? You know, and that's why it's impossible to brainwash a people who know their Bibles. And that's why it's important that you read your Bibles. An interesting thing right here. There was a time in church history where the leaders of the church said that the, the lay person shouldn't really read the Bible, study the Bible for themselves. But that's not what we see here in the Bible. I mean, here in the Bible itself, it says that these guys were, were searching the scriptures for themselves. It's for the layman. It's for everyone. And as they're there searching and, you know, whether or not these things were so, it says in verse 12 that many of them believed. But again, verse 13, when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also. Imagine that, 45 miles, so much hatred. They came there, they stirred up the crowds, and so immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy 
remained there. And what does that tell you? That Paul was, he was the guy that they were really after, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and what does he do? Now he goes, you know, to Athens. And this is so cool to see the way that, you know, you, you can't be stopped, man. When you want to serve the Lord and you want to share uh, his truth, the devil's going to do everything he can to, to try to get in the way. But what I've learned over, over the years is that um, if we just keep ourselves in that place, then what God will take everything he throws at us. And like I've told you a million times, he'll take that stepping stone, that stumbling stone, and use it as a stepping stone. He really will. You know, I, 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 I believe with all my heart that, that part of the problem with us, even as a church or with the world today, is that they, they don't understand God's love. And, and so they don't let the love really come in and, and change their life. That, that the problem a lot of times with the church is that, is that, you know, God wants to work in you and God wants to work through you, but a lot of times we don't let him. We don't let him. You know, I pray that as we go, go through our study here today, that we would learn from the example of, of these churches in Thessalonica and Berea, and, and especially in the, in the life of Paul, who was a, was a man that was just touched so deeply by Jesus. And that's what we need. We need to let him touch us. Because then, you know, what ends up happening is nothing can stop the work that God will do in and through your life. Now, my prayer today is that our heart, uh, it will just be the same heart as Paul, you know, or, or David Livingston, you know, when he was asked, you know, where he was prepared to go, he answered by saying, I, I will go anywhere as long as it be forward. Is that you today? You know, maybe you're not a Christian. Are you willing to go forward? And give your life to Christ. Or maybe you are a Christian and you know you're stuck. Are you willing to go forward and to say, here's my life. It's not really my life. You gave me life and I give it back to go forward. It's the same message. It's the same Bible. It's the same God. It's the same love. But it's all a matter of how you will respond. You know, I was reminded, and we'll close with this. You guys remember when Jesus died on Calvary? There, there were three crosses there. And I think we have a picture of it. And, I'm, you know, I mean, it's a trip, man, when you think about that. Because... You know, the Lord was there, you know, on, in, on Calvary, suffering, loving, redeeming, dying. I mean, it was the event, the central event of all history. And as he's there dying on Calvary's hill for all our sins, there were two men, robbers, thieves on his side. They both saw the same thing. They both experienced the same experience. But one was saved and the other 
was lost. And isn't that how it works even in the church? You know, the one, he just simply says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. My prayer is as we're those thieves on the side of that cross, is that we would say the same thing that that thief said when he saw God's love for him, when he saw God's, you know, blood there on Calvary, when he saw Jesus willing to forgive those who nailed him to the cross, when he saw all those things, that he prayed that prayer for God to come into his life.